Hello and welcome to Music Forward Foundation's Industry Sessions, Conversation in Music. Music Forward is a part of the House of Blues and Live Nation family that inspires ambition and creates momentum to redefine what is possible for young people in the music industry. Check out musicforwardfoundation.org for more information and let's get into the show. Welcome to Industry Sessions. My name is DeMarc White, and I'm your Music Forward host today. Music Forward is a national nonprofit organization inside the House of Blues and Live Nation family with a mission to transform young lives, inspire careers, and champion a more inclusive music industry. We provide artist development and career development programs to inspire the next generation of leaders and innovators. As you all know, our programs are in full swing, including our 2021 scholarships for you college students. So to find out more about our programs and how to apply for those scholarships, Check out the link in our chat. Uh, I'm so excited to get started today with today's conversation on streaming. We encourage all of you all to ask questions, to use the chat to network with your uh, with each other, and to engage with our panelists. Also today, we have an exclusive offer from our partner Mike Warner from Work Hard Playlist Hard. Mike is offering a free access to his online course, Artist Profiles and Tools. So we'll be sharing that link in today's chat. And we'll also follow up with an email after today's session with instructions on how to sign up. So just click on the link and you'll have direct free access. So without further ado, today we'll be talking about streaming, everything about it from the artist perspective, from the playlist perspective, and from the streaming, from the streaming platform side as well. So let's bring out our panelists, let's do some introductions and get into today's conversation. Panelists, join me on screen here. Awesome. Hi, everybody. And one more. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> all right. So welcome, everyone, to today's conversation. Thank you all so much for uh, coming and sharing your expertise with us. Jamie, please introduce yourself to our audience today. Tell us a little about you, your role, and, some, and what you bring to today's conversation. Hey, Jamie Friedman. Um, I live just south of San Francisco in the Bay Area. Um, I work at Pandora. And um, I have kind of two, two roles. The main role is um, creator services, and we help artists and creators use the back end um, of Pandora, the artist marketing platform. So that's what we spend all of our days doing, helping them um, kind of maximize their potential on Pandora and helping them build playlists and Pandora stories and things like that. Um, and then I also, class I also program classical music on the side. Um, which is super fun um, and something I did ne never really saw myself doing, but um, they asked me to do it uh, about a year and a half ago. This is my second year anniversary, by the way, at Pandora. I started there two Congrats. years ago. Um, and just, I'll, I'll talk about this later, but I think I first applied for a job at Pandora maybe 10 years ago. So that's how long wow. I'm like long game. Um, I have an academic background. I have a master's degree in ethnomusicology, mm -hmm. and um, I am a classically trained vocalist. Awesome. And I'm currently singing in two choirs, even through all this pandemic stuff. We do it over Zoom um, with a women's choir called Conspiracy of Venus and the Resound Ensemble. And thanks for having me. I have a really long history with House of Blues, and I grew up in LA, and like I had, there's like some weird. I've had some really, really um, formative experiences there. So this is such a treat. Awesome. Thank you so much for happy to have you. Uh, Jordan, same same question. Introduce yourself to, to our audience and tell us a little about you. All right. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Jordan Moffey. I work for Beatport. I am a curator and I curate nine different genres on the store. So it's all electronic music and it's mostly EDM, those genres that you hear on the radio um, that DJs play. So my job is to literally go through all of the music that's coming out each week and give it a feature, put it in our best new charts, add it to our Spotify playlists, that sort of thing. So my main job is just listening to music and deciding what's good. Um, I have a bachelor's degree from San Diego State University in journalism, and um, I do some music journalism on the side as well. And I'm actually currently pursuing my master's degree in music business from Berkeley College of Music's online program. So I'll have my master's at the end of this year, and it was a fun thing to do 
while we were all locked down. Yeah, um, most smart. of my hobbies really just include music. Um, I love to DJ. I actually have a live stream DJ set going on tonight at six o'clock on Beatport's Twitch that I'm very excited about. Um, but I'm really excited to talk to you guys about streaming and how the music industry is transformed. Yes, we love a good plug here. Uh, Daytona, last but not least, please uh, introduce yourself to our audience. Yo, what's going on? It's uh, Kid Daytona in New York, uh, doing and throughout. Um, I'm an artist, songwriter, brand ambassador uh, for Hennessy as well. I work with everybody from Pharrell to French Montana to Tiesto. Um, and I'm also an independent artist. So, um, you know, make money both ways. So, Streaming, I get all that, a lot of that on my own. I still make money from songs I did 10 years ago, you know, that on, on an independent level and on an industry level, it's a little bit different, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, man, I'm I'm a, a true person that stuck in it and stuck with it. And, um, you know, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I want to start today's conversation with, like I always started, where really focusing on sort of where you all started in your careers and sort of how did you find this pathway? And so, Jamie, I'm going to start with you. I'm, I'm very intrigued by you deciding to study what you studied and, and what, it were you, what was your experiences in college sort of choosing that major? And did you know it would lead you to this role at Pandora? No, none of it. Um, I... I'm trying to, this is, I was trying to think of how to even talk about my like professional career in any sort of short term. Cause it's just very meandering. And I just went where I needed to go. And I tried a bunch of different things until something worked. Um, I, yeah, I started off thinking I was going to be a, a high school choir conductor. I just really liked music in, in high school, you know? And so it's hard to really see. And I, and even growing up in LA, I think at the time I didn't want anything to do with the industry because it just seemed really gross. And, um, you know, as a teenage girl in Los Angeles, like I didn't want anything to do with that. So I decided to go the academia way and then academia and I broke up because I realized that academia is also really crazy and hard and maybe I wasn't as good at it as I thought I was, even though it was really fun. Um, but then I ended up doing music history and being really interested in like the communities and the history and the people that make the music and participate in the music. Um, I wrote my master's report on gospel brunch in Austin, Texas. Um, I got to study South by Southwest as like a community and as like an artist community. Um, and then I moved out to the Bay Area not knowing what I was going to do. And it was during the recession. And I started working with the music community here and found out that um, being a community manager was a thing. Mm -hmm. And being a community manager of artists is was a thing. And worked with social media and worked in just building communities. And um, like I said, I applied for Pandora and all of the other streaming services when I first moved to the Bay Area 12 yeah. years ago wow. um, and finally got a job. <laughs> so the guy that actually got the job that I applied for 10 years ago, I now work with him. Awesome. Um, so I just I, and I was in I was in performing arts for a while. I, I worked for, in marketing um, and advertising at the University Musical Society in Ann Arbor, Texas, and the Kennedy Center in DC and Stanford Live. And it's just, I've always just really loved the performing arts and music. And um, I just wanted to be near it, I guess. Yeah. So I've basically tried everything I could just to stay close. And yeah. um, <clears throat> finally, just found this job. You know, it's we've the, the the department I'm in is sort of changed and morphed from just curators to and programmers. And now we're we're on the the artist side. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a really awesome. I mean, it's it's a really awesome, you know, kind of just connection of, of all the things that I've ever done, which is why they hired me. Yeah. So um, that's a really. Yeah, it's definitely not. No. I did not have a path. I thought no, I did. No. And it went like this. 
Yeah, I feel like that is why I feel like that's similar for majority of everyone in the music industry, and I think it's also something that we talk about with all of our uh, participants and our audience today. That like there is no linear path to the careers uh, in the music industry, and you should explore everything you possibly can and manifest what you actually want. And it sounds like like you did just that, Jamie. So again all that landed you here to share your insight with our audience today. So I couldn't be happier and, and more thrilled. I would love to unpack sort of the start of your career, how you how you got into music um, and how you've been able to sort of sustain success as your career has uh, grown. So take take me back. I mean, well, I got my first record deal when I was in high school. Okay. <laughs> and simultaneously, I had a full scholarship a full ride to college and you know I was in school but I wasn't really like I didn't care you know what I mean it was just like whatever it was nothing that interests me and I was going back and forth every weekend to record um from you know Albany back to the city and uh you know like everybody you think you got a record deal and you think yo tomorrow you're gonna blow up so I I left my scholarship um my grandmother who was a you know strong West Indian lady she didn't talk to me for two years behind that. Um, Cause you know, with everybody, it's like, if you don't go to school, you know, it's like, what else are you gonna do? You're gonna be a loser, right? But you know, I um, lost, we ended up losing our record deal, whatever. Um, Busta Rhymes was an early mentor of mine. Uh, I had a chance to sit in when I was a kid on uh, when he was doing a Big Bang album. So I was, he used to just bring me to the studio, just me and him, so I got to see Pharrell work, I got to see, before I ended up working with him later, I got to see Timberland, Scott Storch, you know, all these great producers, Dr. Dre. Um, and it's like, that was a, a pinnacle time that really changed my life. And it really like led me to believe like, yo, you know, I can do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is for me, because if, if I didn't end up in these places, I'm a kid from the South Bronx, you know, like not a lot of people make it from where I'm from. A lot of people I grew up with, it's still in the same place, you know what I mean? So I kept going, kept going, kept going. We're gonna fast forward. Um, I ended up linking up with uh, Harry Fraud, um, which is French Montana's uh, main producer. And then, um, you know, I ended up working with French on this Jungle Rules album. And that was the first time like I actually wrote songs for anybody, you know what I mean? I, like I would just write for myself and, you know, I didn't realize like that, that was an actual thing, you know what I mean? So I started writing and um, that was kind of like the break in my career where I started to really do well, right? So then, you know, that led me to work with Tiesto, that led me to work with all these up and coming artists um, on uh, Republic, you know what I mean? And my my whole thing, I was like a backpack rapper. So I come from like the blog era, right? So, uh, you know, I'm in the same class with J. Cole, Big Sean, Freddie Gibbs, Action Bronson, you know, yeah. um, that's that's my school. You know what I'm saying? So from then on, you know, now uh, brand ambassador at Hennessy, which is another different way to make money that yeah. I, I never realized that I was going to do either. Like these things just all kind of happen. Right. So I just follow the footprints in the sand and, and that's what it is. And that's where we at now. Yeah, cool. I I feel like we're gonna get more into that through today's conversation. Uh, uh, J Jordan, I want you to also share with us not just sort of how you got into your career, but talk to us specifically why you decided to study what you studied and how, again, similar to Jamie, how that plays a role into what you do now. Yeah. So my story is pretty interesting. Um, when I was in high school, I went to independent study school. So work at your own pace type of thing. It wasn't like a real classroom setting. Didn't have prom, didn't have sports, nothing like that. You just do your work. And um, I got my first job when I was 14 working at Hot Topic as a greeter. Um, I was a little emo kid. Um, I loved rock music. And then when I got into electronic music, when I was 13, I went to my first ever all ages rave that they used to have in San Diego. And my parents would just drop me off and pick me up at 10 o'clock. And I just fell in love with that scene. And so, um, as I was working at hot topic and, uh, 
going to school, doing my independent study, I didn't take summers off or anything so that I could graduate early. Um, they told me I could graduate when I was 16 if I didn't take my summers off and I just did a little bit of extra work. So that was my plan. And um, when I was 16, I actually worked at a music venue in San Diego. Um, it was a community called Harmonium. It was an organization and they had a music venue. Um, it was an after school program for kids, but we had a lot of shows there. So I was also working those events. I helped book shows and that kind of taught me how the music industry works. But um, I did graduate high school at 16 and then immediately a few months later moved into the dorms at San Diego State as a literal teenager. Um, and so it was kind of hard making friends um, in the dorms just because everybody was an adult and I wasn't. So um, I found solace in going to raves with my friends and learning how to DJ. Um, it was a great community for me to find. So that's kind of how I jump started my career and being so young. I'm only 24 now and um, I've been working in music for like four or five years. So um, I actually moved to Los Angeles right after I got my bachelor's degree in journalism because I wanted to be a music journalist more than anything. Um, and it's not too much of a good career field to get in right now, just because, um, you know, blogs are shutting down, budgets are being cut for that sort of thing. Um, my last hope was working for Skrillex's blog, Nest HQ, and I ended up becoming a contributing writer just because I found the editor on Twitter and slid into his DMs and told him I wanted to write for you guys. And it worked out. And when I graduated, they made me the managing editor. So I moved to Los Angeles to work in Skrillex's office and do that. Um, and unfortunately, the website shut down in 2019. And that was a point in my career where I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know if I can work for another blog. I haven't really worked anywhere else in the music industry since I was kind of booking shows when I was 16. Um, and thankfully, I, I took a month off and I kind of just explored my options. I saw that Beatport had a job opening and it was for a curator for EDM genres. And I'm like, that's the perfect job for me. I make so many playlists every day. And um, I got the job and they said they were searching for someone for months and they couldn't find the right person. And it turned out to be me. So I think that was a great feeling to know that I was a, a perfect fit for this role. And uh, it'll be two years at Beatport this August. And it's just been fantastic being able to work with the music that I love so much. And, uh, there's so much music every week, but it's not even overwhelming because yeah. I love all of it. Um, and then as far as getting my master's in music business, I'd been thinking about it for a long time, but I didn't know if I wanted to spend the money to do it. And when the pandemic started, I just couldn't stop thinking. I was literally dreaming about going to get my master's degree. And I had these recurring dreams and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to apply and see what happens. Yeah. And so now I'm almost done and I'm really happy that I did it. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I'm I'm so happy right now. <laughs> this is just a beautiful curated panel. All of you all are coming from such different experiences, but have similar ways that you went about your journeys, and just the hunger and the passion that you all have and have expressed in your journeys. I'm I am appreciative of, but also glad that you're here to share it with with our audience. Uh, I want to take us back because today's topic is focusing on streaming, and we're going to just unpack that, what that is. And so Jamie, start, starting with you, what I want to know is as a representative from Pandora, but just in streaming platforms in general, what is your relationship and what is your responsibility to the artist? And what is your relationship and responsibility to the audience? You mean as uh, like, as am I speaking as myself or am I yeah. speaking? Okay. Um, so we, my team and, and me specifically are really trying to champion, um, the folks who are on the Pandora or want to be on the Pandora platform mm -hmm. that need help getting going. Cause sometimes, you know, if you're Ariana Grande, you don't need help. I mean, or you have a whole team of people that know how to do it. Right. So we are, um, we are in, we're in it to make it easier for the DIY artist or mm -hmm. the artist with a really small team to, to maximize your potential on Pandora. So we have a whole backend and I, I know that like Spotify has a similar, well, they're a similar set of tools, I guess, um, of doing that. All of our, all, all of Pandora's tools are free. 
Um, and there's a whole process of you, you know, getting your music analyzed through the algorithm and making sure that your music is spinning in the right place. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, we have, there's a whole, there's a whole slew of, of tools that we have. Um, I also specifically have started, um, I have a specific station called it's called Amp Fresh Cuts that mm-hmm. is literally just for these smaller artists that need to get rolling on Pandora. And we started wow. that station. We started a um, social media community to help. Um, we have a Twitter and a, um, I can, I'll share those accounts with you guys if you wanted to follow us. Mm-hmm. And it's literally just to help and support smaller artists because um, we, it's hard. Obviously, it's hard to to get it, just get it going. And a lot of what Pandora is just getting that algorithm working for you. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of times artists just, they're just like dead in the water there. And just because also, because time not, you don't have all the time to do all the things. And that's one of the big things too. Um, so just a little bit on Pandora will help. Yeah. Um, you share more, can you, can you define the smaller artist for, for us? Like if you're talking about you're helping and providing tools for the smaller artists, what does it mean to be a smaller artist? Like, is it a certain following? Is it, is it a certain amount of music? Define the smaller artist, the artist for us. Um, I guess just from my point of view, it's, it's, it's folks that I guess just aren't spinning as heavily on Pandora. Cause it's pretty obvious when, when you look at the back end of, how things are spinning. I mean, obviously that that's a very, very good question actually, but from my point of view, um, yeah. Although, you know, even if an artist is a little bigger, you know, and, and, but it's just like, everyone just needs a little bit, you know, I mean, like I said, if it's, if it's a very, if it's a large artist and we know who the record label is or whatever, and they're like, they're fine. Or like they have a whole team of people that's helping them do this. Um, so we, yeah. And it's a lot of just quick eyeballing, obviously, because as we all know, there's thousands and thousands of artists on there. So sometimes, you know, like I noticed that, uh, Lucius, um, who I don't even know how I didn't even notice this, but they like made it onto this, this genre station. I was like, oh man, Lucius is on here. They're so popular. They don't need to be on there. And like, I didn't even know realize that I had put them on there, but I was like, "It's it's okay. Um, but yeah, so we've, you know, cause it's, it's, it's hard, it's hard out there. So, yeah. um, so we're really happy to help, you know, support folks and really do whatever we can to just help them. We, my, my boss says he's like, rather than just surviving, we want them to, we want you guys to thrive. Yeah. Thank you so much. And please drop all that I will. into, into our chat. This one, uh, just with your with your career and you being in the game uh, for a minute and as an independent artist, put into perspective how for us how streaming has shifted from when you first started to where you are now. Well, um, for me, <laughs> it was crazy because a lot of my mixtapes, um, like I said, I, I came from the blog era, so we were just putting out stuff for free, right? So a lot of my like. When, when streaming first came out, when people started making money, I had a lot of stuff on that catalog, right? So <laughs> people were actually taking my music and, and um, monetizing it for themselves. Yeah, random, you know, because I didn't even know. I just, it was on, it was just things that I didn't know, right? So then now we come to this moment where it's like, you know, every month I get a, I get a pretty good check off of, you know, my work that I've done. And it's just like, put out as much music as you can, right? Because uh, the more music you put out, you know, the more, the more streams you get. And I would say, invest in yourself, right? So if you don't have an investor, you know, try to get a job and invest in yourself and really build it from the ground up, right? So like, you don't even, you don't have to be somebody that's a blown up person to have a successful career, right? So what's success? So if you're saying if I make three, four hundred thousand a year, that's pretty successful, right? So you don't have to be this this big time artist or whatever. Just uh, you know, put out your music and make music that's true to you and connect with your fans, right? And on top of streaming and all that stuff, merch is a really, 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 really big thing, right? So if you if you make a hundred t-shirts and sell them for fifty dollars sell them out and keep doing that keep doing that keep putting out music and again invest in yourself because uh it's not a waste of money you, you're gonna look up and that 
$5,000 that you save up to, up to spend is going to turn into 10, 15, 20, 30,000, so on and so forth. I'm, I'm, I'm curious for you, do you see your music um, performing differently on depending on the DSP that you use? So whether your music's on Spotify or it's on Pandora or it's on Apple or whatever the platform, do you think it performs differently uh, depending on the platform? Nah, my stuff, um, well, the records that are big records of mine are the same big records on Spotify, same big records on, on Apple Music. Um, randomly, they took two of my records on Spotify. Somebody put them on a jazz hip hop um, playlist and that just like jumped everything up random, right? So it's like those editorial playlists are big, but it's so crazy. You don't even know who these guys are. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you have to really like be like an industry insider to know who are these people controlling these playlists. Because that's once you get on playlists, those things change your life forever. You know um, yeah. And then it's all about who you know, right? Nobody like this game keeps reinventing itself over and over and over again. So it's like, you know, really go outside. Like you can't just be somebody making music in the closet and you're just in your crib. You know what I mean? It ain't yeah. You got to go outside. You got to speak to people. You got to connect with people, you know, network. Don't be thirsty, but definitely, <laughs> definitely network with people. Yes. That's got I mean, a, a long way. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like that's a perfect segue, Jordan. You are, you are this mystery person. Break down just what it means to be, be a curator um, and how your process and in, in choosing music and building playlists, as I, as I ask you this very loaded question. Yeah, um, it's something that, you know, before I was a curator, I always wondered, like, who are these Spotify playlist curators? It seems like they don't want to be known to the public because you just know that their email inbox is going to get flooded with submissions and promotions. Um, so when I started my curation job. It's cool the way that Beatport has it laid out. Basically, all of the labels will communicate through their supplier that they want a feature on the store. And a feature on the store looks like in the individual genre pages, there's banners of new releases. There's one module that says latest releases and another module that says staff picks. All of that is selected by the curators. Um, and each curator has a set number of genres. Like I said, I have nine of them, which I definitely have more than all of the other curators on the store. Um, but I think that it's easy at Beatport because we're told, okay, these labels want a feature. So we have a nice spreadsheet that has all of the releases that are requesting to be featured. And I make sure to consider all of those uh, for features, uh, playlisting, adding it to our best new charts, things like that. Um, but the real magic seems to come from when I go through our back end and there's a lot of releases who aren't asking for features, but there's a lot of gold in there. So it's really important to not only take the time to consider those who are asking for features, but also those who aren't, um, because I usually find some hidden gems in there, some artists that I've never heard of, some labels that I've never heard of that are putting out really, really good music. And I saw that there was a question in the Q&A that I can actually answer here because it goes with the question in um, what, how do I decide what good music is? Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of factors there. So first and foremost, objective factors, the mix down. Is it professional? You know, if a song is way, way, way too quiet or way too loud, it's not going to be featured because our store is specifically for DJs. And when you're playing a DJ set, you don't want your music to be at different volumes. You can always tweak it if it's just a little quieter, or a little bit louder, but that is definitely something that I look for. And uh, things like vocals being out of key, some elements clashing, things aren't working right, it's offbeat, things like that. Um, those are objective factors that I consider. But when it comes to subjective factors, Every curator is different and has their own tastes. Uh, since I work with the genres that I really, really love, and I can't even say that there's any electronic genre that I don't like. I love all of them. So I'm pretty open-minded when it comes to all the music that I get to listen to. But if there's a song that, you know, it's mixed well, it's produced well, the vocalist is just fine, but it sounds like a lot of other music that I hear, you know, day in and day out, I'm probably not going to feature it because it's it just doesn't stand out. And... I think that it becomes a little monotonous when certain songs, they all sound the same. So I try to look for that one defining factor that sets it apart from the rest. 
So hopefully that answers that question. And um, like you said, this mystery person that we talk about, um, something that Daytona said is that, you know, getting on playlists, it is about who you know. And um, I'm really proud that at Beatport, I'm not beholden to any interest from other people. I'm not expected to feature certain artists or certain labels. Certainly I have music friends who will let me know when they have a new release and they do want their music to be featured. And of course I tell them, you know, yeah, if I like it, I'll put it in there. Um, but I really like that. I can just choose anything and it doesn't matter uh, how many followers the artist has. Yeah. Uh, follow up to that. I'm, I'm curious, how do you know a playlist is doing well and what do you do when a playlist isn't doing so well? That's a great question. So on Beatport, we don't call them playlists when we create these charts. They're called DJ charts on Beatport. So that's also a thing that people say Beatport doesn't have playlists, but we do. Um, it's DJ charts. And so you'll see in the individual genre pages, like in my big room section, it's best new big room of March. Um, and it's all in that DJ chart. And we don't really even track whether the charts are doing well on that front, but mm. all of those best new charts are put on Spotify. So it's actually my job to update all of the Spotify playlists every week. We have over 30 Spotify playlists and we're usually adding between 20 and 40 tracks to each playlist a week. So it's definitely, <laughs> it's a lot of upkeep. Um, but I track all of the playlist analytics every week and I see when we gain followers and when we lose followers. And I think it really comes down to trends too, because certain genres are just not moving forward sometimes, yeah. but there are genres that are moving forward a lot, or there's a lot more content, or it's just more popular in the DJ community. So when I see that a playlist isn't doing as well, I'll let the curator know if it's not myself, you know, hey, um, let's talk about what the community's looking like right now in those genres, so that maybe we can see if there's other emerging trends we don't know about, new artists that are doing really well that we don't know about, that sort of thing. Yeah, perfect. Amazing. I they talked about something earlier that I'd love to spend some time talking about. And it's really the monetization aspect of streaming. And Jamie, I'd love to kick this question off with you is just briefly, how does how do artists monetize off of having their music on streaming platforms? Um I am actually not the best person to speak to how folks get paid on Pandora. Um, I think the one thing to know is that it is different depending on if it's on demand or radio. And I think that's mm -hmm. something that we have to remind people. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I, unfortunately I can't really speak to the, the licensing and royalties side of stuff, but um, I just, I just know that the more, obviously the, I plug our tools. Yeah, yeah. The more you more you use the tools, the more you can maximize. Yeah. Um, they they are pretty powerful. So uh, but yeah, sorry. No, it's all it's all good. <laughs> I think it's, but I think it's it's true. The more the more you play, the more you make, right? Of course, that's, yeah. That's basic <laughs> yeah. common sense. They told a similar to to that question though, as an artist, are you budgeting sort of when you're thinking about how much money I'm going to make in a year from everything I've got out there? Are you budgeting the revenue that you're bringing in? from streaming and then can you also shed light just from the artist perspective how you're ensuring that the music that's being played on these streaming platforms that you own that you have rights to that you're getting paid what you what you're worth and how much is being played how many times is being played well um i i have distribution right and also have a lawyer two two main things because it's like i couldn't by myself go and collect all of these monies from these different it's like, how many streaming platforms are there? A bunch, right? There's a lot. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I have, you know, I have that and every month they go and collect that for me. Um, and then it's also publishing. It's also, you know, like um, that owning your master's thing is, is you, you want to do that one right there, right? So um, what, what was the second question you asked? The month? What was the second question? Uh, when you're when you're whether it's your account, oh, whether it's you, yeah, budgeting. Do you try? Do you budget so, how much you're going to bring in? So, so like, I I put money in, and once that money starts to come back, I just put it right in. Just keep putting it in, putting it in, and then you watch it grow. It's kind of like um, investing like stocks, but in yourself. <laughs> You know what I mean? So like the more money you put in, the more money, if you truly believe in it and you're truly going, you're truly pushing it, um, all that is going to come back to you. 
you know? Yeah. And then you, you look the next day, you look up, and it's like, wow, like, I'm really doing my thing on here. Yeah. And something that always we're, we've heard before um, from other panels, but also just something that we know to be true is that a large part of building your audience is being able to correctly assess the analytics from these streaming platforms. I know Spotify does it very well. Pandora does it very well in providing these tools for artists to be able to break down who's actually listening to their music. Um, one question we got from the... Go ahead. Yeah. So... One question we have from our audience, but something just in general is like, what are the specific analytics that artists should be looking at to help define their audience so that they can either begin to create music that is for them or create playlists that is for them or just cater to them in general? Um, Jordan, I'll start with you, but Daytona, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this as well. Sure. Yeah, I'm looking in the Q&A for that question exactly. You're talking about the tools that the artists use to... Oh, I can't. The only question I see is about artists signing up with Beatport. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So not that question, but this is this one came off the noggin. <laughs> but I got it. <laughs> so basically, when you're working with Beatport, and when this goes back to sort of the question on um, sort of knowing if a playlist is doing well, but what in your with your experience, what are the analytics that artists should be looking at to know that their music is doing well on different streaming platforms? Yeah. Um, so unfortunately with Beatport, it's not like Spotify where Spotify has, you know, Spotify for artists where artists can keep track of where they're getting playlisted and things like that. I believe there's some sort of outside platform because sometimes I see people screenshot something that says Beatport added you to best new this chart. And I don't know where they get that from, but I think it's great. Um, so I think there's just some sort of outside platform that tries to track uh, all of the DSPs and the digital download stores. Um, but I'd say when it comes to Beatport, the cool thing about it is that all artists can make DJ charts on Beatport, which is really cool. So it's essentially just a playlist of all your favorite music. If you have a new release that's coming out on Beatport, you can just add it there along with some other tracks from artists you like, friends, things like that. Um, and those can get featured on the store. I think even just sharing the fact that you're putting out a track on the platform, since it is a digital download store, just like iTunes or Amazon Music, the way that it works, you know, the difference between streaming royalties and digital download royalties. I feel like we could spend a lot of time talking about the difference between the two. Um, but something that I should also mention about Beatport is that we are also newly a streaming platform for DJs. We have a service called Beatport Link, and it's basically this really cool tool where you can play the entire Beatport catalog and DJ it. We have it already connected with Serato, with Denon, all of this DJ software, and it's a monthly subscription and you can play all the music on the store. So the cool thing is that if you release music on Beatport, other people can DJ your music and you get paid every time they play it because they're streaming it. And we actually pay out 10 times more than Spotify does for streams. So we're soon, excuse me, soon launching a way to actually track how many times your tracks have been streamed. Uh, we just recently launched this in the last year and we're making it better uh, every single month. It seems like we have a new rollout. Um, so that's a new tool that will be available for anybody making electronic music. That's awesome. These are the same question for you. Like how, how have you, to be specific, how have you utilized streaming platforms to grow your, to grow your audience and fan base? Um, I go and look at uh, where people are listening to my music. So let's say most of my streams are in New York, Philly, Boston. You kind of want to go and maybe connect with some promoters, start putting some shows together, taking trips out there, like being an artist, it's super hard, you know what I mean? Like everybody wants to do it, but it's like, it's really, really getting out there. Like that's that's been a big part of my career, just going everywhere. And I'll go, you know, I go to Paris by myself and like, I feel like I'm at home because like I have so many people out there. I go to Oslo, I go to Switzerland, I go to Germany, you know what I mean? And, and cause I've built those relationships over time. Same thing in the States with LA and Boston, Philly. I have all these people that they're all my homies and, um, you know, go and put shows. So you'd be like, yo, this is, if I got 300 people listening to me in, in Pennsylvania, some ran like, you know what I mean? Put a show, let get a show together. Like, yo, who wants to see me in Pennsylvania and go, yeah. and go and, you know, and get that, you know, get that together. 
Yeah, I feel like it's one question that we're all, I always get asked is like, how does someone, how do I turn my stream fo- streaming followers and listeners into actual ticket sales and concerts? And Daytona, what you just spoke to now is you go to them, figure out where they are, and you meet and meet them where they are. I think that is just a, a great idea and a great strategy in order to do that conversion. Jamie, I know you have something to add here. Yeah, sorry. Um, so, um, like the Spotify for Artists, Pandora also has the back end of where your music's playing. Um, we um, use a we bought a platform a few years ago called Next Big Sound that tracks um, the demographics and uh, geographics um, of where music is playing, and we have this really cool heat map where it won't it not won't just tell you where your music's playing, but if it's over indexing or under indexing. So what's really cool is is um, like I always find that like Salt Lake City people are just ravenous for all sorts of music. And it's everything from like heavy metal to like, you know, Mormon choir, you know, Mormon tabernacle choir. It's really interesting. Like, like Salt Lake city is always up there. Um, but like one of the examples that we found is that um, let's say you're planning a tour and you, and you look at your heat map and you're like, Oh, I, and like, there's a, there's a dark purple circle, which that's the color coding, you know, in uh, Tulsa or something. And you're like, Oh, I've never been to Tulsa. It looks like I've got some super fans down there. Maybe we should plan a show. Um, so that's one of really cool um, things that um, Pandora has. But the other thing that Pandora has, of course, you know, it's always going to be Pandora focused in my brain, is obviously who plays on your station and what station you play on. And then you can look at those artists. You know, if you're trying to figure out, um, I see the original question was, um, who's listening, right? So it's right, right. defining your audience. Yeah. So, and I, 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 and other people have found that that's really interesting. Obviously, like who you sound like, and 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 you can look up the demographics of on Next Big Sound of other artists. So I know that that ends up being really helpful um, of seeing where they're playing, who's listening, um, you know, who does your music sound like, who sounds like you, and I think that that just helps place you in this larger you know, ecosystem, especially like when you're so like, I was working with, with this one artist and, um, it was like a, a female led vocals with just acoustic guitar and Nico case was playing on their station. And they were like, Oh, of course she would play on our station. We never even thought about it because you're, when you're so far in the weeds, right. you like, just don't even think about that stuff. But then if you pull back and see where, you know, how other things fit you together with other musicians, that can be really helpful. Yeah. Um, just understanding like what your genre is and especially if your genre is changing, yeah. um, you know, you're trying a new, a, like a new thing, a new band or something. Right. I also think it's a huge thing that even just outside the streaming platforms that marketers are looking at, like there's, there's one thing to be yourself and to be unique, but it would be, um, I think that it's a good strategy to look at artists who have been in that same genre and, and have been successful to look at how they did it as well. And so I think some new artists are scared because like, I want to be my own thing. I want to be my own lane, but bite a little bit, right? Join onto their audience and take some of their fans with you. I think that the more you can collaborate, the larger your fan base can become. And therefore the larger your listening will uh, grow on these different streaming platforms. So the more you collaborate, the more you can grow. Uh, Jordan, I want to go back to that specific question on how artists can sign up w- w- uh, with Beatport, but I-, I guess my specific question to you right now is how the subjectiveness of music, right? You talked about how you listen to music and you decide what's good and what isn't. We all know that music is so subjective. So how do you determine your personal taste versus what's good for the playlist and what's good for Beatport? Totally. I mean, that really is the number one question for playlist curators because it does vary. You know, we, the curation team at Beatport, we have a team of eight people and I'm actually the only American on the curation team. The rest of them are based in Berlin and I'm the only woman on my team too. Um, And so we have all these different genres and it's funny when we have a song that kind of crosses over into multiple genres and we'll pass it back and forth between each other. And we're like, okay, which genre does it actually belong in? And they'll say, I think it belongs in EDM because this vocal sounds really commercial. And I say, well, I think it belongs in house because I think that all of the other elements lend itself to house. And so we'll kind of, it's never an argument, but it's more just like a, either you take it or I take it. What's going to be best for the artist? What's going to be best for the audience? So when we get in situations like that, we think about if somebody is coming onto the store and they want to buy this song from this artist, 
where do you think they would go first? And so that's how we usually end up deciding how that works, especially with music that just has the potential to cross over in other genres. So to that same point, I think about, you know, if somebody's going to go onto Beatport and they're an electro house DJ, and when they go to the electro house page, what are they going to be looking for? So sometimes there's a really big artist and they put out a new song and maybe it's not my cup of tea. Maybe there's some reason why I might not like it. But if I know that the community is excited about this artist and they're excited about this trend, um, the sound that they're putting out, I'm going to feature it because I work for the customer. And I want to give the customer exactly what they're looking for. And I want to give them some stuff that maybe they didn't expect to find either. So it's yeah. nice when I'm curating the playlist and, you know, I can include something that maybe is a little too formulaic for my taste, but I know it'll lead in some other people who love that artist and love that sound. And then I can sprinkle in some surprising tracks from artists that they don't know. So hopefully that kind of answers that question. Like I said, I love all electronic genres. There's no genre in dance music that I don't like. Um, and then I will answer the question about signing up for Beatport. It's just like a DSP. Um, you have to work with a distributor in order to have them send your music to Beatport. So it's the same way with Spotify, Apple Music, all of that. Um, there are some great independent distributors. I know some are like IndieFi, um, Symphonic Distribution, some like that who will deliver your music. And I don't even think you have to pay like a flat fee. I think they just take a percentage. So that's something worth exploring. But yeah, it's not really a matter of signing up. Once you're a new artist and you get it delivered to the platform, we create an artist profile for you where all of your music will live. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much. We're going to take some questions from our youth participants before we do Daytona. I'm curious, looking to the future, and this is this is really for all of you, Daytona specifically, how do you feel like streaming platforms can enhance the artist experience or enhance the user experience? Like, what do you want streaming platforms to do for you that they aren't already doing? That's a, that's a tough question. I have, I'm, I'm literally a subscriber to like Spotify, Apple, and Pandora, right? So it's a part of my everyday life. Um, I would say for me, just because I'm an Apple guy, I wish that Spotify was a little bit more user friendly. Like it, for me, it's easier to, to look on Apple for things and different right. things, right? So um, it's just Spotify is a little cooler. So they have all these different names and different things to <laughs> to look on. Um, that's That's all I would say. Just kind of make things just much more user friendly. Yeah, and then Jamie from the uh, from the streaming side, right, and working on the platform. Just what do you hope that the future looks like, or streaming looks like? What do you hope that Pandora sort of either puts in place, or are you all currently working on something to enhance the user <laughs> artist experience? Oh, always. Um, I mean, the current thing right now is that they're we're working on a you know because SiriusXM bought Pandora two years ago, so they're working on an app. Um, that will combine everything. Um, we're always looking to make the tools more robust, I guess, if you want to call it more features um, and on the user side and the artist side. Um, yeah, no, I mean, all, yeah, always trying to, the, the coolest new thing that we have is this thing called um, uh, Pandora Stories, which is basically a, a, a hosted playlist where you can insert your own voice tracks that you just record either on your phone or wherever and you upload them as an MP3. So it ends up being like a, like behind the scenes sort of like, I'm going to tell you the song, like the stories behind these songs. And you can also talk about your influences and stuff like that. So artists have been doing those for new releases and like walking you through the, you know, the stories behind the song. So it ends up sounding like a, like a podcast or a radio show, but because we have the licenses, you can play the whole song. So that's pretty fun. Um, so different yeah, new pieces of content, you know, because because of Sirius XM, we, we do now have a ton of content. So that's pretty cool. And just learning how to, how to um, you know, marry those two. And I know Spotify is doing a lot of that now too. They're producing their own stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I'm going to bring out our youth participant. Mariana will be asking um, you all a question. So Mariana, please. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. Okay. Um, 
Okay, hi, I'm Mariana. I'm a student currently um, attending Ramon Cortinez. And my question to all of you is, um, should an artist feel insecure about sharing their music across streaming platforms due to not being able to access top equipment for recording, editing, etc.? I mean, I'll go first in saying absolutely not. I, especially in electronic music, there are so many artists who make insanely good music just on their computer. They don't have professional recording equipment. They're recording vocals in their phone and just editing it in their DAW. And it's incredible. There are so many great artists who don't have access to really professional recording equipment that make such good music and their creativity just shines and their personality shines through. So I would definitely say you should go for it no matter what level you're at when it comes to your equipment. I would say, though, that it's it's tricking the listener into thinking that you do, because if you don't and it's obvious that you don't, then I think that that's going to make a big difference. And I think because people have, you know, all access to stuff on their home computers, that it's really easy to, like, make it sound like, you know, you paid a billion bucks to do it. So um, and, and, and listeners will be able to hear that. Awesome. Awesome. Do you have anything to add to this? Yeah, I would say um, a good song is a good song, no matter how bad the mix is. (laughs) Right? So as artists, we always like listening to mix, but the listener, they don't even know what a good mix is. They just know if the song is hot or not. Fair. Fair. Well, thank you so much, Mariana, for asking your question today. No problem. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Our next question will be from Nicholas, who also is attending a school in LAUSD. Awesome. Hi, Nicholas. Hi. Um, my name is Nicholas, and I'm from. I'm a student at Canoga Park High School. And my question for you guys today is: How can an artist best navigate or use algorithms that are prominent in the streaming services to their advantage? All these questions are <laughs> top notch today. Uh, algorithms. Jamie, you want to start us off? <laughs> the first thing that comes to my head is make sure you have the your your artist name is something that's easily Googleable, not easy to to confuse with someone else. Um, yeah, and and if you if you are gonna have to assign tags to stuff, like really think that stuff through. And I know that can be really hard um, because it's all about tags and it's all about metadata. It's all about being able to find your music in the pile. So, um, and I know that stuff might not be the most interesting, but it is really important because we are dealing with ones and zeros, and it's really all about that. Anyone else? That's very, very true. I'll say there is always some sort of issue that comes up where there's two artist names that are the same. I have artist friends who are like, there's somebody who's uploading music to my Spotify. They have the same name and it's not me. And they have to kind of chase them down and make sure that they can get it removed from their artist profile. Um, Honestly, what Jamie said is great. At Beatport, (laughs) we don't actually utilize any algorithms at all. It's all human curated playlists and charts. So um, I'm very happy about the fact that, you know, we have such a small team and even though we have a big catalog, we go through everything. Um, But I think that, you know, I'm an avid Spotify user and I love what the algorithm shows me. So uh, I'm, I'm a fan of being recommended music based on the way that I listen to music. And as Jamie said, just making sure that everything is tagged properly is something that's definitely worth learning. I'm not sure exactly who teaches it um, outside of like how I'm learning in my music business program, but I'm sure there's online resources somewhere that hopefully I can find and send to you guys. Uh, Daytona, have you figured out a way to to beat or trick or anything regarding the algorithms? Um, <laughs> because they're, they're changing them all the time. They change algorithms all the time, man. So um, there's no way to trick the system at all. You know, just put your music out and, you know, go out there in the world. And, and, and if it's fire, you know what I mean? Somebody's going to hear you. Yeah, I like that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nicholas. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Uh, last up, we'll have uh, Phoebe, our industry session social media producer, uh, who's going to be asking questions from our audience. Phoebe? 
Hello, uh, I'm Phoebe, the industry session social producer intern. Uh, and I was wondering um, if you think that physical media and or radio will ever be fully phased out and replaced by internet and streaming. I don't think so, personally. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> That's true. Also that, I also hope not because, you know, especially with everything digital, it's very convenient. Um, and I do listen to most of my music through streaming, but when I really, really love an artist and I want to support them in any way possible, I buy their CD and I buy their vinyl. And I have so many physical copies of music that sometimes I don't even listen to. I just really like to own it. And I think that's a big part of supporting artists as well is buying these. It comes in merch bundles and it's always just something nice to have. And who, I was just in the car the other day and my phone wouldn't connect and I, I had to listen to a CD. So it was there when I needed it. <laughs> I love how you, I had to listen to a CD. Like it was, there was no other option. I had to put a CD in and I just, I just went with it. So tell me, are you still out here pa passing out mixtapes? <laughs> nah. You know, like those guys, I don't know if they have them in LA, but there's guys on 47th Street that literally dug you out. Yes, <laughs> yes, we have my Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, the only one passing out CDs. But um, as far as radio, I don't think radio will ever die, man, because for me, it's, it's always about the DJ. It's always been about the DJ. And I love listening to a good mix show, you know, um, because it's like, they're always putting you on to new music or they'll play something that you forgot that you love. You know what I mean? Like I find myself when I'm I'm playing my music, I'm listening to the same playlist over and over and over. So um, I love radio for the DJ. Not necessarily the uh, the programming, but mix shows. Like I love mix shows. Oh. What I am worried about is that like the technology is going to change so that we won't even like have easy access to that stuff anymore. Like how many times do you hear, I don't even have anywhere to play a CD anymore. Right. Or like mm -hmm. I have a super old car. So like we listen to the radio all the time, but I was just thinking like not to be a Debbie downer because I would be bummed, but like in 15 years, who knows? But their CDs and vinyls yeah. are like a collector's item now. Yeah. It's true, so but not many people have access. I mean, it's it's harder to get access to like stuff, you know. Yeah. A lot of artists like um my friend Freddie Gibbs, like he puts out vinyls, right? And like just a few. So it'll be like a collector's item. The same thing with Benny the Butcher and like all these guys. Like, you know, some people just want to have a physical thing that they're hanging totally. on their shelf, you know. Not even to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> you see my iPod right there? That's, that's how old school I, 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 I did notice that in the very beginning. Uh, thank you so much for, for your question today. Thank you. All right, so let's let's wrap let's wrap up this panel. We've learned uh, we've learned so much. We've heard about your career journeys. We've gotten tips and tricks on how to put our music as artists onto streaming platforms. The tools that Pandora has. Uh, the fact that we may still play a CD <laughs> if we've got it. Uh, so and I've just enjoyed this conversation with you all. To wrap up, um, I just love if you all could think back to your younger selves and uh, with all the knowledge you have, what is a piece of advice you'd give yourself, uh, your younger self? Um, I'll let you all choose who we start with. Who's ready? It's fresh in my mind, so yeah. I can first. Let's do it. So, you know, <laughs> I that I could tell my younger self to not worry about what anybody else is going to think, to mm. be confident in my abilities, to be confident about my goals, because especially in DJ culture and electronic music, there is a big problem with sexism. And I have been told, you know, throughout my life by ex-boyfriends and things like that, that I'm not going to be a DJ or I don't know anything about how the music industry works. And here I am now. I've had it in me all along and I just wish that I was more confident when I was younger. Uh, and I think that I would have had more opportunities at a younger age. And I think I would have been able to be a little bit more creative. I'm a singer. I've never really done anything with it. So maybe that's something that I'll kind of call upon now that I know that I should have been more confident in the first place. So for you guys, you know, don't doubt yourselves. You guys are all here for a reason. You're all very passionate about music. You're creative you love this industry and you want to know more about it, just dive right in. Really, really do it. It's it's so worth it. And 
I saw something saying like, if anybody had a, if I had a backup, um, working in restaurants, (laughs) it got me, it kept me going, but you know, there's always time to nurture your passion. Uh, I I would say, um, the follow-up on that, I would say, man, it's a hard thing, you know, not to do, but don't get discouraged and just put your head down and keep working, you know? Um, and (laughs) there is no plan B. If you really want to do this music thing, it gotta be plan A all the way. Um, that's one thing I would say, because if I, if I would have ended up, you know, trying to have another job or whatever, it's going to be tough. But by the time you look up, you know, at the end of the day, if you keep going, you'll, you'll be successful. Awesome. Jamie, close us out. I might stay curious about everything, especially how quickly things move. Um, especially with new things, try it. I mean, I'm the one to talk, like I have not been on TikTok or clubhouse, you know, so (laughs) But check it out, try it, talk to people who have done it, you know, keep, keep, just keep looking at stuff, you know, and keep going to these, these sort of um, panels and ask a lot of questions and, you know, people love talking about themselves. So ask them about themselves, you know, get on LinkedIn, you know, and just keep, yeah, keep your, and it's not just networking. I think it's a lot of like making friends and learning mm-hmm. from other people's experience. And you never know. You really, really never know who you're going to talk to, what opportunities are going to come your way, what experiences might inspire you, you know? And I, I think a lot of it is just staying curious and really kind of joining your passion with the curiosity of where, you know, it's all about music, but it's, it, there's so much there and there's so many different kinds of things you can be doing and you never know where you're going to find your joy. And it might be somewhere that you've never thought of. Perfect. Thank you all so much for being here and sharing your knowledge and your insight. We appreciate it. And we appreciate your dedication to the music forward mission for our audience today. Thank you all so much for joining us again, but to our panelists today, to our audience, thank you. Be safe, be well, and enjoy your lives.